You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium Miguel. It's Uncle Silk. And Dan. No 35 right now. He may jump in in a little bit, but he's having some issues with with his son. So big, big prayers up and, and hopefully everything gets taken care of and Ahmad jumps on here, but he's taking care of some daddy duty. Absolutely. A lot, a lot going on, Dan. We yep. got some corona in the air. Yep. How you holding up over there, man? quarantined in man went to uh, Publix uh not too long ago not too long before this podcast started and it was it was pretty empty I'll give them credit they're trying their best to stock up but all of your non-perishables um were were pretty picked over but all your perishables uh, all your lettuces fruits vegetables meats they're all all picked over got uh got there a little too late so um, I'll be eating uh, I'll be eating the scraps but you know hopefully I'll be able to survive yeah, I think you have um, more opportunities to. Um, they still got trucks coming, so I think everybody oh, yeah, will yeah. be fine. But yeah, I've been to Publix every day since Thursday, and just to like uh, as we eat food. I keep picking food up, man. It's just I'm not trying to be uh, overreact or, or be paranoid or anything, man. Mm-hmm. I just got kids, and I just want to make sure I'm in the um, best situation possible. If if anything happens, out because right now we're in uncharted waters. I don't think anybody know what's going on right now, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. No, I think you're right. And I think not only um, are we in uncharted waters, we're just we there's just so much unknown. I know that's what uncharted waters means. But I mean, just in terms of the duration. Right. I mean, you know, every time Correct. you watch it, it's. You know, this is closing and now this is going to close and now this is going to close. And, you know, they're saying, you know, uh, Donald Trump said in his press conference today, I mean, you talk about potentially May, June, July. Uh, I'm not the type of guy that can be quarantined in for that long. So uh, hopefully we get it under rain a little bit. But, you know, I think the most important thing is, it's like it's a huge inconvenience, right? And I, and I think everybody gets that. But it's so much better for it to be an inconvenience now to be able to try to limit the amount of exposure that people have rather than be a huge inconvenience later and also still have mass, uh, you know, number of people that are sick. So I know a lot of people think it's an overreaction or, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a little too much, but you know, when you get into disease and when you get into spreading, especially when you're still unknown about the disease, it's important to try to take, you know, early precautions and we'll bounce back. We always do. So I have no doubt in my mind that we will this time too. Yeah. At this point, I don't think anybody's overreacting. Um, it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, we, I think everybody, when it first started and, and this thing started, everybody was nonchalant about it and didn't take it serious. And as you can see, they're starting to shut things down because people aren't taking it serious. So they're taking it serious for us. Um, yeah, just be safe out here, man. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the corona, spring football got canceled because of it. Um, recruiting got shut down as well. So there's yep. not a lot of news going on mm-hmm. as far as Gator football. Um 
Yeah, and we're going to get a, a couple of guys on the uh, on the staff to come on a little bit later in the show. Want to kind of figure out what they're doing, but it's it really throws a huge wrench into things uh, because not only um, are you affecting you know the the fifteen or so practices that you get for spring plus your scrimmage, uh, you're limiting the number of you know times that a junior you know can come on to campus. And and again, like we just talked about, we don't know how this how long this is going to go on for. So if you're talking you know even into June or July, I mean you've already cut off you know, four months when juniors are able to, you know, be out of school or, or to be out of football, to be able to come up and visit campuses. So, uh, you know, I wonder what that strategy is going to do, uh, you know, or, or what strategy the team's going to have to take because those guys are going to have to make some some uh, faster decisions because they're not going to have the amount of time to go visit as many places as maybe they are used to, or even some of those guys that, you know, went onto campus to try and earn an offer uh, during the spring, those options are gone too. So I'm curious to see what the NCAA does. I wonder if they add in a couple of summer visits, uh, you know, as well. So, but it's, it's definitely, it's affecting everything. Um, and I know that this seems menial when we talk about death and, you know, the elderly and everything else. But, I mean, this is a, another logistical challenge that we've got to got to try to figure out. Absolutely. Um, I think it affects and uh, like the guys that get didn't get combined invites and, and the guys that um, just didn't get a chance to get in front of any pro scouts. Because the draft is still going and we're going to get a uh, draft guy on here to come on and kick it and talk talk to us about that a little bit. But the draft continues, but those guys don't get an opportunity to work out in front of the, front of these um, NFL scouts and coaches. And I think that's a missed opportunity for, uh, especially my man Josh Hammond. Um, I think he's a guy that needed to work out and, and would have did well in the workout. I think he would have yep. ran well. I think he would have caught every ball thrown to him. I just think it's a missed opportunity for those guys like that. So it's a little unfortunate, and I hope those guys still make their way onto rosters. Yeah, and again, you know, the NFL is, you know, on lockdown too. You know, they're going through free agency right now, uh, but they just limited, you know, players coming on site to a uh, to a, an NFL campus. Uh, they limited uh, traveling to go see those potential free agents. So, again, I mean, you talk about a draft in, you know, a month, a little bit more than a month that has already canceled all, uh, you know, um, uh, visitors, right? So it's in Las Vegas. It's supposed to be this huge thing at the Bellagio. So they canceled all of that. Uh, and now you're going to have a big, long lull period unless the NFL just decides to start signing these undrafted guys, you know, off of the tape that they've already seen. I mean, it changes scouting completely, right? Um, you know, because yeah. these guys have spent the better part of the last three months since, uh, since the season ended doing nothing but preparing for this moment and to have that snapped away. Um, you know, there's definitely going to be some some guys that are that, that miss out, and that's super unfortunate for them. Yeah, and if this is, if this situation is an advantage to anybody, it will be to a team that has a returning quarterback, um, uh, stability in the staff, where there's not a bunch of new guys, uh, consistency with the play calling, and, and with you know what I'm saying, like continuity is going to pay pay dividends in a year like this. Um, we we don't we, I, sometimes we overvalue recruiting. And some of these guys we want off the staff, but in a year like this where there's no spring reps, uh, we don't know what type of fall camp we're going to have. If the season continues, if the season happens this year, I think the situation we're in, um, I think we'll be better suited than a lot of people on our schedule. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, you know, Florida, like we've talked about, isn't replacing a ton of starters. And those that they are, you know, especially at the wide receiver position, you know, they've been able to, you know, have a lot of guys that have a lot of snaps. Um, you know, I don't know how, 
Um, you know, logistically, the players are working out and the regiment that they're following and everything else, especially because a lot of them are home. Now, a lot of it comes down to personal discipline, uh, being accountable to one another, being accountable to yourself. Uh, and, and so that's where it's going to really shine. It's those, you know, it's going to be really a make or break year for those teams that really want it and those that, um, you know, maybe feel like they can win on talent alone. But, you know, I, I trust, you know, Dan Mullen and his plan and his staff's plan to, to try to figure it out. But, uh, you know, it completely throws everything off. Um, you know, the product on the field will probably be very different next year than, than maybe what we're used to for the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and it also throws off uh, guys that were potentially looking for the spring to work out um, to, to, to compete for a position, to either move up the depth chart and then make a decision transfer-wise. So I think it affects it's a it's a big ripple ripple effect. It's not just one dynamic of just the season and practicing. It also affects a lot of these kids' future if they they they're not they don't foresee a future here or moving up the depth chart that they may want to transfer. Now they don't know where they st- they stand at until camp. So that just right. makes everything a little fuzzy and a little weird, man. But mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll get through it, man. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, you know, it just throws so many different, um, you know unintended consequences or, or externalities into to everything. And so, you know, um, glad that, uh, you know, we're, we're doing what we're doing as a country to try to get over this as quickly as we can so we can resume normalcy. But it just, when you start to think about and extrapolate all these different things that we're just talking about here and how it potentially affects so many people's lives outside of the way that, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, just kind of staying in or staying away from, from bars and friends' houses and everything else. Uh, you know, these are real lives on the line, um, you know, real futures on the line as well. So uh, if everybody that is listening for the sake of those kids and everybody else, just stay inside, stay out of being a dumbass and um you know just keep it moving and you yeah, know in man. a couple of weeks we'll we'll be over this hopefully yeah man stay home and enjoy your family i know y'all like them i know it's rough you gotta live with them but stay home and enjoy your family and like stay away from people for a little bit let's get a little better but also uh the ncaa granted the the, the athletes that are playing spring and winter sports uh, another year of eligibility yeah for the seniors, so I think that's a big help because they, they pretty much baseball's done. Um, those guys, unfortunately, they was on the run. Um, they was looking like a special team this year, and that's just come to a screeching halt, man. So mm-hmm. it affects more than football too, man. A lot of other well, athletes out there are losing opportunities. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about that, especially for the spring sports, um, you know, you you keep those guys an extra year, and now all of the freshmen, the freshmen, uh, incoming freshmen that that are coming in that um, have already signed, you know, letters of intent at a school, and maybe they were the, you know, the shoe in for that next, you know, center fielder position or that next, you know, softball pitch, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you know, that certainly throws a, another wrench into things, and so, uh, you know, I'm glad that they did it; it was the right thing to do. Uh, but again, you feel for those, you know freshmen that are coming in uh you know that were maybe told one thing and that might be a little bit different and not saying that they won't overcome it uh you know it's just again another piece to this you know this huge onion that just keeps getting peeled back i wonder um because i haven't i haven't deep dove into like the details of of what the ncaa has done i wonder if they adjust scholarship counts for like small rosters like baseball and basketball because yeah, a lot of those the recruiting classes are small, and they're just kind of replacing guys that are leaving. Right. So now with guys coming back, I wonder how they adjust that. Yeah, and I think, you know, they had, I don't know if they've fully gotten there yet just because I think that there's still so much unknown and probably a lot of other things for them to worry about right now. Uh, but I think, you know, kind of the prevailing uh, wisdom is going to be that they're not going to count towards the scholarship count. 
But this is the thing also. I mean, you think of a school like Florida, and that's not going to be a problem. But you think of some of these, you know, smaller Division One schools or, you know, even, you know, NAIA or, or all the way down. Uh, or not NAIA, but Division, you know, FCS and um, Division Two, Three. Um, that costs a lot of money, right? I mean, you know, the average student athlete scholarship probably cost anywhere between, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars when you account to everything else. You know, Florida, not a problem. You know, um, Eastern Michigan, Eastern Illinois. You know, Missouri State, a school like that, it, yeah. it, it could really have some real bottom line, uh, you know, effects on top of the fact that, you know, they've already closing campuses. They're already, uh, you know, moving kids out They're They're losing revenue and income that way, uh, you know, especially from bookstores and, you know, just kind of extra spend. So, you know, again, that's an additional burden to put on those schools. So, again, another thing to think about when you talk about all of these other things that get affected. And before we get into, you know, some more talk outside of uh, Gator Nation and, and other sports, I want to bring on uh, Charlie Skalaski, who's the director of player personnel, and Kirby Almira, who's the assistant director of player personnel uh, for the Florida Gators recruiting staff. Nice. Let's do some off the field. Before we get them on, let's kick it. Um, shout out to Greg, Greg and Brun Insurance and Financial Services, uh, insured the Nose household. Insure my man Dan, insure Newberg, insure TJ, insure Kev, man. That's the that's the big coverage, the big policies. Anything you need insured from the panhandle to the keys, holler at my man Greg, 954-589-2204. Big policies, big coverage. The official insurance carrier of the Stadium Gale in the Gator Nation. Let's roll, Dan. Let's ride. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale, also our first two-part interview that we've ever had. We got Charlie Skalaski, who's the director of player personnel uh, for the Florida Gators, and then we got Kirby O'Meara, who's the assistant director of player personnel. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. Pretty good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, just. Um, you get uh, you get a little bit of, of credence over Kirby just because a you're a UF grad um, and you're the director so that's that those are the kind of perks that you get on Stadium and Gale. Uh, Charlie, tell us a little bit about how you you ended up in this role. I know you came to Florida from uh, UNCC uh, there in Charlotte. So give us a kind of an update of how you you ended up at UF. Sure. Um, really, it was uh, kind of something I didn't see coming. <clears throat> wasn't planned doing it. You know, I've been coaching in the coaching ranks the last twenty years and you know, coached high school ball, college ball, and in the NFL, so I've done it all. And uh, when we, our staff, our head coach was let go last year at UNC Charlotte, and um, so really wasn't sure what I was going to do was, you know, weighing several options like most coaches, you know, do you pack up and move to the next coaching gig or not? Um, and I had been in a little bit of a lot of turmoils of late. My last, several of my last head coaches had been fired and the guy I worked for in the NFL got let go after one year only because it was a new owner and a new GM. So my wife had pretty much uh, gotten tired of moving every six months. That's an exaggeration, but to make a point. <laughs> but, um, and Coach Mullen reached out and just said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And uh, oddly enough, I had actually been approached by uh, Coach Meyer back in the day about this job and also by Coach Muschamp back in the day. And I just, uh, you know, I was coaching on the field. And I didn't want to leave that. And so when this came up kind of the third time around, it is my alma mater. I love the University of Florida. 
you know, and I told my wife, well, if I'm going to be off the field anywhere, this would be about the only place I'd want to do it. And so uh, flew down, met with Coach uh, Mullen, and he did a great job uh, kind of selling me on what the division of the program and what we can get accomplished here. And that's kind of – and then you know the rest of the story, as they say. Awesome. And so uh, I've got a bunch of other questions for you, but Kirby, I, I'm interested mm-hmm. to hear your story. Um, you know, be, because you, you, you both played football, you know, Charlie, I know you played at UF and, and Kirby, you played um, over at TCU and then it looks like you got into accounting uh, for a little bit and then ultimately ended up in football. Tell us your story. Yeah. So kind of quick for me. So I actually I walked on to TCU for a year. Um, I was a long snapper and then I actually transferred to central Arkansas an FCS school uh, played there for four years uh, the accounting thing was definitely just a, a means to an end of making some money while I was trying to get into football. And I did the, the somewhat common thing of starting off as a volunteer and um, started off working actually at Arkansas, just do a connection for, uh, ended up there for four years, kind of worked my way up to get on staff. And then whenever our staff got let go, I got uh, with coach Bielema, got kept over with Chad Morris and then Coach Mullen and his staff called about a month later and took me pretty, not too much time to decide to come down. Actually, uh, I walked outside. It was uh, January. walked outside at 11 o'clock. It was zero degrees outside up there. I hmm. looked at the weather here and it was like 60. Walked into my wife and I was like, yeah, we're going to go to Florida. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, so, so Charlie, uh, your story is interesting because similar to, to Kirby, uh, after you left, um, after you left college, you ended up in the corporate world for a little bit. What ultimately brought you back to football? Yeah, it's kind of a very strange story. So <clears throat> you're right. I, uh, when I got done playing, I GA for three years and kind of had every intention of staying in it, but, um, just a series of things I wound up, uh, in the corporate world and, Really, I stayed very close to the game. I was very close to Coach Spurrier's staff and uh, kind of, you know, as back in, in the day as people used to help out a little bit in recruiting from more from, you know, from the behind the scenes. Computers were just getting started then and not a lot of coaches were familiar with them. I was in the corporate world, so I was. So I did stuff like that. But the, more specifically, to answer your question, um, as I went through the corporate world, kind of rose up through the ranks, and I wound up uh, being in New York City, running a very large office, well, the largest office in the world for our company, and 9-11 changed my life. Uh, had an appointment three blocks away, and mm. uh, just, you know, like a lot of Americans, caused me to pause and kind of recalibrate, reprioritize, and it just kind of came to the realization that uh, I didn't think I was kind of doing what the good Lord put me on this earth to do. It, it was nothing against businessmen. I was one, and we need them, but it, it's not really what I was cut out to do, and while I guess I was considered a success from a secular perspective, I just was getting no intrinsic fulfillment. Uh, I didn't really like the way my, even my kids were getting. I lived in a very affluent uh, bedroom community to the city. And uh, so I uh, said, you know what, I'm, I think I'm going to look at getting back into what I think really what I was meant to do. And that's, you know, coach, be a positive sphere of influence on young men. And so that's what I did. It's uh, went and visited with some guys uh, in the NFL were guys who, I had coached with way back when I was a GA who had kept going and they were in a league and kind of got their blessing. They said, yeah, you should definitely do this. And wound up getting a, uh, an opportunity at Liberty university and, uh, planned on staying there for a year because I actually was going to come to Florida and GA for Ron Zook. Oh, uh, wow. They didn't have the rule back then. You know, that they didn't, that's a new rule about you only can only be out seven years and all that. And then this, they called me from Liberty said, Hey, come to an interview. I wound up staying there three days on the interview. They offered me a job and I took it. So that's kind of how I, 
got back in. No kidding, no kidding. And what's it like being off the field compared to you know spending you know twenty years mm-hmm. on the field? Yeah, it's very different. It's a uh, you know, it's uh, I'm a you know, I don't know any other way to put this. I'm a spiritual guy, so I think you know we all wind up where we're supposed to be, and this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And you know, I try to treat the staff, Kirby, and all the guys, you know, like uh, as if they're my players, and really, you know, build into them. And uh, if a, you know, a good leader is really a good servant. So hopefully, a servant leader. And uh, but it is different. You know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't miss some parts of it. Certainly, you know, having the guys over, and I love standing in that tunnel right before kickoff and all that. But you know, it's a different challenge, and it's a. Uh, it's, if I'm going to do it, this is the place to do it for sure. I feel very fortunate and blessed to be here. And uh, so, you know, it's a transition. I love it. I love it. And so, Kirby, I've got a a question for you. So, uh, you know, obviously you're a a guy that, you know, played, you know, pretty recently. And then you got, you know, into the corporate world for a little bit. And then you got, you know, into scouting and recruiting. How did you decide that that's an avenue that you wanted to go down? Probably like a lot of guys in this. uh, I was the kid that, like, at eight years old, I would sit and watch the draft from start to finish and, like, grew up on – I mean, I was I was the kid that, like, my first gift in, in the hospital was a football. Like, I watched NFL films when other kids were watching uh, cartoons. My favorite player as a kid was, like, like in second grade was Johnny Unitas, like, stuff like that. Um, so I've always just had an obsession with football and especially with the, the scouting side. So I never knew what it looked like. I never knew like how to get into it. I remember one time when I was in college um, looking at like, I forgot what school it was, but this is back in like 2010, 2011, uh, seeing that school had a director of player personnel and being like, gosh, what is like in college and like, what is that? You know, what does that even mean? Like they can't scout, you know? And then obviously lo and behold, a few years later, I'm in it. Um, So I didn't know what exactly it looked like. And when I got done playing, I, I just hounded everybody I could think of to try and, get in and didn't realize how hard it was to get an opportunity and pretty quickly was like, all right, yeah, I'll just go work for free and do whatever I have to do. So, um, it was kind of just always, always there for me. Nice. Hey, Charlie, uh, can you explain to the average fan that, that that's not like, uh, football junkies like us, what, what exactly a director of personnel is and how many people on your staff and what's your day to day operations like? Sure. Absolutely. Um, that is a great question because it's kind of a nebulous title, director of player personnel, and it definitely means something different in the NFL than it does in college. But, um, you know, really my biggest role right now, quite frankly, is not trying to be, you know, overly altruistic or anything, but is to be a, a, a manager and a servant leader for the staff I got. I am so fortunate and blessed, and Kirby's a tremendous example of that. I mean, he's a guy that's really, you know, he's been doing this for, I don't know, seven or eight years now already, and uh, very, very good at what he does. And, you know, he's kind of, and he was, all these guys were incredibly gracious to uh, bring me into their fold. And there was no, you know, issues, morale issues uh, in terms of a coach asking me to manage the group. Uh, but basically there, we, there's nine, nine of us that kind of work in the recruiting side of it, the purely recruiting side of it. And we divvy up, we kind of play to our strengths. Some of us, you know, are work more strictly in the evaluation side of it. So, watching film, you know, grading the film, evaluating guys, deciding who to pass on, you know, kind of the first lens, the first filter, if you will, uh, of the evaluation process and recruiting. We all do that to a degree. Then some guys also do, uh, are more, I'm gonna, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them communicators. 
but guys that do a little more of the one-on-one communicating as much as legally possible under the NCAA mandates uh, with the actual prospects. You know, some guys obviously are going to be a little, you know, there's no secret here. A guy like Kewan Ratliff, who, you know, had seven on seven for, you know, however many years he coached that, is going to be a little more still known in the community in Central Florida and all that. So he's a, you know, a good uh, person that will communicate a lot with the student athletes, again, within the parameters of, you know, the NCAA recruiting guidelines. Uh, and then we've got guys that kind of do a little bit of both. So it's my job just to kind of, you know, aggregate all that together, help manage it. Uh, and then, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we'll meet two to three times a week, talk about kids, talk about, and, you know, there's a lot to manage now, as you know. And then you throw in the new kind of wild card in recruiting, which is the portal, and because that's a recruiting avenue all to itself. You know, and uh, we have a gentleman that works with us, Billy Homer, who was an NFL scout with the 49ers and with the CFL. So kind of have him uh, running that piece of force. His job every morning is to inspect the portal and give us a report on who's new and, you know, are they viable or is somebody we should take a look at. And so, we, you know, we break up and kind of specialize like that. Coach Mullen had a great vision, which I want to give him all the credit for, of kind of pairing up, you know, uh, making sure every coach had a recruiting guy assigned to him so they didn't have to worry about all the minutia and the logistics. And then in addition to all that, we have a creative group, which involves our graphics people, our video people, you know, very blessed there. I think we've got as good a group as there is in the country. You know, we're the only school right now that's really running a YouTube channel producing episodes, you know. We just put our third episode out uh, Saturday night um, of, you know, Gator football. You know, first episode was about the Orange Bowl game. Second episode was about off-season edition. This last episode was about you know, the eight Gators that were at the Combine. So just kind of watching over all that, being very involved and trying to help, you know, what we need in this new facility we're going to build as it relates to recruiting and then, you know, things like that, but really leaning a lot on the guys who are already there. Like I said, Kirby, John Herdbond, folks like that do a great job, and I'm just – I was fortunate to kind of land in the right place at the right time. Nice, man. (laughs) That was very detailed. Um Right now we have the corona out here, and I know um, the, the NCAA shut down. You guys is recruiting. Um, what exactly can you can and cannot you can't you guys do right now? Like what what exactly are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, basically it's a dead period now for all intents and purposes you know, in the NCAA. So we can neither entertain a, a student athlete on or off campus. They cannot come on campus. We cannot go off campus. You know, and when I say we the recruiting staff, the player personnel department, we can never go off campus. That's only countable coaches in the NCAA on-field coaches can, you know, recruit off campus. So, you know, we're all, we're the team behind the team more or less. Uh, but really as it is right now, effectively, other than, you know, normal rules about one telephone call a week and things like that, recruiting is, uh, you know, is, is, set, is shut down in terms of any face-to-face interaction. Okay, so what's next? Um, like, do do you guys get together staff-wise? Or are you just done with, um, of course, uh, the player contact? But are you guys getting together staff-wise and doing anything? And if and if you guys do know, what are the players on the, on the campus doing? Yep, so some of that is, you know, done by athletic department, some by the university. Coach, uh, we had a big team meeting last Friday, and Coach kind of explained what the edicts were and the mandates from the university are. Our student athletes, you know, under SEC, again, as you know, and they're kind of leading all the conferences in the country on this, they passed a rule that um, there can be no student athlete activities 
until April 15th at the earliest. So our players had the option. They can go home or they can stay on campus because the university has not closed the campus. But um, coaches can't have any interaction with them. There can be no – they can't come up and have a meeting in their office. They can't lift weights in our weight room. Uh, you know, it's, it's literally until April 15th. You know, they're on their own. Now, they can receive academic advisement, tutoring, things like that, and they can receive medical treatment from our uh, training staff. But there is no, you know, skill development or, or, you know, player meetings or install meetings or anything like that. Um, as far as recruiting, yeah, we're still working. I mean, we haven't, like, shut down. We'll, we'll, um, we update daily and, and by, via email and stuff things about recruiting. Our coaches are still actively recruiting, you know, via uh, Twitter, you know, again, texting and phone calls all within whatever, the, you know, the legal parameters are for a given time in the calendar year. So, not, you know, that never stops. That's still going on. And even though it's a dead period, that only a dead period only means – there can be no face-to-face interaction, either okay. on campus or off. So normally this would be a time where we'd have a lot of what they call unofficial visits, guys coming up to campus, you know, and junior days and stuff. That's what's been eradicated by this dead period. Got you. Uh, Kirby, if you don't I want to mix it up a little bit, um, sure. how do you think this this – this delay and this, this freeze or whatever we got going on recruiting effects, how hard does this, this make you, you guys' job? You know, I it think seems like the, the cycle shrunk a little is, bit here. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting. Um, to be honest, I think, I, I think we're kind of, it's everything sped up so much, you know, just over the past few years that I think cycle wise we'll be okay. I think there's a, there'll be a little bit of a reset. The biggest, the biggest issue is going to be you just like to get kids on campus in the spring to get around them and let them get around, and there's just going to be less of that. Thankfully for us, we'd already done a, a really good job of getting guys around, and it had you know, probably a little bit more than, than some places had. So uh, I think it'll affect us, but, I mean, realistically, it's just going to be a, a slowdown, but we'll still, you know, we don't know what it's going to look like, but uh, – I don't think it's going to end up being too, too big of an issue. I think other places will be hurt more than us, realistically, because it's easier for us to get kids on campus. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, has the NCAA, and I know that there's still a lot of question marks out there, have they talked about maybe extending the calendar into the summer uh, for you guys to be able to have additional junior days and things of that nature? You know, I... Well, shoot, I Charlie, I'll let, yeah, I'll let you take this. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I imagine there's a lot of things that have been on the table. I, there has been no firm decision made on anything. Like everybody else, I think they're kind of, and rightfully so, waiting to see the magnitude of how this thing's going to play out. Yeah, we're sure. All hopeful that, you know, we're all hopeful this social distancing is going to flatten the curve out as it is, you know, flatten the bubble and remove any spike. And, you know, if it does, I think then things will get back to normal a lot quicker. I think, you know, if we do get a spike, then we're all aware, everybody's been reading, you know, there could be some significant consequences. So I'm not trying to evade the question or anything or give you a nebulous. No, that's fine. Yeah. You know, I think all options are on the table right now. Is there any, go ahead. I'm sorry, Kirby. I was going to say, it's just, it's completely uncharted territory. Um, And I mean, the good thing I think they have is that we'll, we'll see is you have uh, prior years to look back on as far as the calendar is adjustments and, you know, maybe other levels. There, there are things that that can be adjusted that aren't too crazy far out. You know, as far as what FBS used to look like or FCS looks like now. So, 
what is the the biggest challenge uh, these days in in your jobs? Charlie, you first. Um, <clears throat> you know, shoot, we we all like the challenge, otherwise we wouldn't have got in it because it is a crazy profession to begin with. So, if you're looking for a nice, paid nine to five, unchallenging job, shame on you for even getting into this job. But that being said, uh, you know, I, I think just making sure that we're in doing the best we can within the NCAA mandates, and that's big at Florida, you know, and, and hopefully it's big everywhere, but I know it's big at Florida, um, of, you know, doing it the right way, but having as much contact uh, with these young men as possible because it's a two-way street now. We're recruiting the heck out of them, but we're also trying to get to know them too, you know, to make sure we don't make a mistake. And, I, you know, I've told many a parent when I've been a coach, you know, it's not a science. It's half art, half science, and I'm sometimes shocked we get as many right as we do when you only get six contacts a year and, you know, one official visit. You know, and I, I know Kirby's heard this before because I've said this often before to our staff, but, you know, in the NFL they can spend untold money on these guys and fly them here to have this guy work them out or look at them or do whatever they want. And <clears throat> Like the last year I was in the NFL, 23% of the players in the National Football League that year were free agents. So in essence, and not all free agents come by this way, but the net of that is about 20% of the players were the equivalent of a walk-on. And mm. those guys can do all the testing in the world. So, you know, I, I think the, the, key, the toughest thing is, is just making sure you're, you're getting the right guys. And it's not the guys you don't get that beat you. It's the guys you get who aren't what you thought they were. That's what beats you. Mm. There's enough good players to go around. Yeah. So I know fans, sometimes fans lose their mind. Oh, we can get that five-star or that five-star. Don't worry, that's not going to get us beat. What will get us beat is if we take guys that aren't good enough, you know, if, they, if they're not what we mm-hmm. thought they were. That's what beats you. So I think that's our biggest challenge, make sure we're doing our homework and, you know, and, and all three fronts, ability, academics, and character. You know? and, and if we've done that, then you know, we should be okay. Now, speaking of character, how do you guys uh, evaluate that aspect of it? Kirby, in fairness, you want to jump on that one? Yeah, for sure. Uh, realistically, I mean, there's no, as all of us know, there's no perfect way to, to do that. Um, I think it's just understanding what matters for football. Uh, we talk about it all the time. It's, you know, you can, you can easily overvalue something or undervalue something. You can look at the guy who's, you know, for example, might look, you know, everything looks perfect from the outside looking in personal character wise and, you know, choir board type or whatever, but he may not have great football character traits and, you might have a guy that from the outside looking in, maybe, you know, it looks like there might be some issues, but realistically when you actually get to know the kid and you, you look at what really matters for football, for, you know, the reliability, the competitiveness, the mental toughness, the physical toughness, how much do you really care about football? Those things you can really uh, get a, get a, a better read on what the kid is actually going to be for your locker room and what, what he's going to be for what really matters. Obviously, the, you know, obviously the personal character, it, it all really matters. Um, as far as bringing them onto a college campus, but it's easy to get lost in mixing up what really matters with character and what really matters for what's going to make a difference in that locker room on a day-to-day basis. And it's, you know, you got to rely on the people that are on your staff as far as just experience and understanding what they're looking for. And I mean, the easiest, easiest way is experience. You know, we can, we can all look back on guys we've been around in the locker room, guys we coach, guys we've, uh, before, evaluated before, just people we've known and have examples of, okay, this guy reminds me of, of this guy and this is, you know, in, in some way, okay, that's a really good thing or that's a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, kind of 
go more into it. So you just got to get to know the kids. Uh, you got to get to know them and then just also put a lot of stock into trying to figure out as much as you can from, you know, people around them. Like a great example, you know, you're hearing a lot with, you know, how this is the coronavirus is affecting the NFL draft process, the evaluation process. There are guys out there, you know, like media guys, former scouts that are like, shoot, this might be even better as far as the decision-making process for teams, because mm. rather than actually, uh, you know, you get that, that 30 visit guy comes in for four and a half, five hours throughout the day. And he's been coached up and he's as serious as he can be. Cause this is, you know, the, the, uh, his dream and, you know, he's, he's on his best behavior and he puts out the best face he can. And, you know, that area scouts looking there going, I got three years of information on exactly who this guy is. And you make the wrong decision based off of that. So it's just actually really, really getting to know the kid over time. And then obviously you got to get around him as much as you can. Uh, and, and Ahmad just joined. Um, he's so he's he's going to hop in here in a second. Um, but I, but I got a question. So so obviously you know you guys get sent uh, tape very often. You guys go out and or you know the coaching staff will go out and watch players. Um, how much? How do you guys evaluate a player? Because um, obviously you know highlight tape is in, is going to tell you kind of one story. How do you kind of get a holistic picture of who a of who a player is? So, you know, you know, the initial screen, the initial way you kind of get moved on to the next evaluation, if you will, is going to be typically off a highlight tape. That, that's one way. And the other way will be when the coaches are out in the spring. You know, many times I'd sit in with a high school coach, and if especially I recruited the state of Florida for 20 years, you know, so I mean, I've, got, I've got a million relationships with high school coaches in the state. And they say, Charlie, this guy is a guy you really need to look at. And even if there's a guy maybe who didn't have a ton of junior film, this is why you need to look at them. So it's a combination of, you know, our coaches are out in the spring getting recommendations. We're getting film. We have them in camp, you know, those things. But once we start, the, okay, this guy's kind of past the initial phase. The highlight tape was good. You know, we're going to start then looking at whole game films, you know, and eventually but going into their senior yep. year, we'll start doing something we call the point of attack tape where, you know, every play that they're involved in basically you know, we're going to look at. And, and, and it also differs positionally, as you can imagine. You know, uh, if it's a receiver, and I'm a receiver coach, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to ask, them to make me a uh, targeted tape. So all the throws he was targeted. If it's a pat quarterback, you know, we're going to make all the throws. So the, the farther they go down the funnel, the, the more scrutiny they're going to get. And, again, it's not, you know, we have student interns that help us out who, you know, uh, pass the tape on to our staff, and if our staff still likes them, you know, we'll pass it on to an area coach and a position coach. If they like them, the position coach is going to start to get deep into it. It's going to work its way to the coordinator. And ultimately, Coach Mullen makes the final decision on every kid. We never sign a kid at the University of Florida that he doesn't personally put his stamp on. And a lot of people may think, well, of course, that's, but that's not necessarily the case at a lot of universities. Uh, there are some mm -hmm. head coaches that, you know, delegate that totally and just say, hey, okay, I'm delegating to the coordinators and that side of the ball. And, you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, it's, it's your job, you know. So, um, but Coach is a guy that's very active in recruiting. He gives a thumbs up or thumbs down on everybody. And uh, one, of the, one of my roles is I'll sit with him like during this time of year and we'll, we'll take a position and watch it all morning or all afternoon or all day, you know, and just go through it and just to see, kind of get a status of where are we at on the board with these guys, how do we stand with them and stuff. 
so there's there's kind of an ongoing debate, especially on Twitter, and I'm sure you guys have have seen it or, or read uh, about the value of these seven on seven um, teams and tournaments and camps compared to you know a player maybe you know playing another sport during the the football off season. How mm-hmm. how do you guys evaluate that? How do you guys uh, take into consideration a player that maybe does you know a seven on seven compared to a guy that maybe does play basketball or baseball or track or or something like that? Kirby, I'll let you hit it first, and I'll kind of end it on that. Perfect. So, you know, to me, it's it's a little bit less of, uh, you know, a deciding factor or anything. Uh, I think it's just when you look at guys, I'll, I'll use a guy we just brought in who's on campus right now. You look at uh, Richie Leonard, that dude's a, an offensive guard who's, you know, definitely always over 300 pounds, whatever he's weighing right now. Um, but he, he played shortstop on the baseball team. He could dunk. Sure, he play. He had well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, go I need to see he the film. A, he has a. I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't no, believe he has a, I made him show me the yeah, film. He, has a, he looks like a first baseman or a designated hitter. Oh yeah. As a former no, shortstop, I'm having a hard time believing it, man. Richie got to be very athletic. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you go watch and you really, really dig in with the the film, and you can see it. You can see how it translates. You see the the quick twitch, and you see the hips, and you see the lateral movement skills. You see the hand-eye coordination on certain guys. And so it's, it's really, it's, it's almost more developmental and it's, it's guys that, that learn how to compete in different ways and just want to constantly compete. And it's ways that your body and your mind develop athletically in different ways. So it's, it's kind of, there's a huge value in it. Also, you look at, at other guys where, you know, another guy we just brought in this class, uh, Jahari Rogers, he, you know, it's his first year playing, playing corner. So you look at a guy that uh, this, this past year, really, really full-time playing it. So you look at a guy who has all the athletic traits, but he's incredibly raw with it. So a lot of those guys that play multiple sports, you know, maybe you're looking at the guy who played seven on seven and had a private training and his whole life, you know, 365 days a year for, from middle school on was all football. And you look at his senior year, well, that guy's about as developed as he can possibly be at that point in time, as opposed to a guy who's really raw. So you look at like, Jar is a great example where he's raw with you know his his athletic tools, but his his ceiling is crazy high, and maybe his film is a little bit different and he, you know than a lot of other guys, but he has all those that more well-rounded athletic ability. His mind's more well-rounded from having done different things and just developed differently. So that's realistically it's just part of the the uh, the equation when you look at the evaluation, and it's it's only a plus. Uh, not that it's a, a knock on any of the guys that, you know, and seven on seven is great because it develops you in, in different ways. And, you know, he one always, always talks about like guys that can uh, do more, you know, man to man and more get specific experience. Um, but there's always positives of just kind of having trained your body athletically coming up um, to where it translates better long-term. Are you guys, uh, no, go ahead. So go I was ahead. Just say to Kirby's point. Well, I was going to say to Kirby's point. It's just another evaluation tool, and we don't value it more than we evaluate their high school film, or more than we evaluate their performance when they come to our camp. In, in a perfect mm-hmm. world, and if we've done our due diligence, we're going to have high school film to evaluate. If it's a skilled player, seven on seven film to evaluate, or other sports film to evaluate, and then camp performance to evaluate. And so, you know, and that's what we try to get out of almost every player. You know, by the time they've done those three things, you know, if we know what we're doing, we should have a pretty good read on it. But I think Kirby said it well. It's just another evaluation tool. It doesn't carry, at least certainly for me, doesn't carry any more weight than another. It's a, you know, 
they're all equally important. Now I got a question um that involves a player that that signed last cycle, Travez Johnson. Um, he's a kid that was if, if you follow the recruiting websites and 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 if you're in a recruiting pun and you're really into this, he wasn't ranked at all. Who who found him? Who evaluated him? And how did that? Because I seen he came on campus and they offered him right away, and he got to commit like almost right away, and then he blew up in the in the recruiting um, later on in the season, and it all made sense. So who 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 evaluated him? And how did that work out? Well, that, that's, yeah, Charlie, uh, I'll let you, like you I'll put, let you go with this one. It's like you put a softball on the tee for me on this one. I'm sure Kirby's <laughs> laughing on the other end. Um, <laughs> So just to give you some context, so the year I coached for the Jags, um, I lived in uh, my, I purchased a home and lived in St. John's Golf and Country Club, and my son played on the Barton Trail football team. And I had recruited, Barton Trail was a high school I'd recruited for years. I know the head coach, Daryl Sutherland, very well. So I was very familiar with the program. When we got fired that next year, uh, I had only been there a year. They brought in a new GM, shot combo, the team, yada, yada, and, I was on Mike Malarkey's staff. They fired all of us and, you know, went for performances for just new guy, one of his own guys. So I told the GM, look, I'm not moving. I, I just, I'm not doing this to my family. I just pulled my son in this high school. So I said, you guys are going to pay me my second year of my contract. And they did. They were great. So I don't want to cast any aspersions that Jags were in any way not going to. They were wonderful. But I tell you all that to say what I did with that second year is I volunteered and coached up Barton Trail for free. And uh, so it got to be very – intimate with that program and, you know, understand those guys. And so I've had a relationship, you know, I told you I know a lot of coaches because uh, I'm not the spring chicken on the staff as Kirby and those guys are off to remind me. Uh, but that was a, a program I knew a lot about. So I knew about Trevez well ahead of time. And then he had gone to a camp at Mercer uh, back in the summer and run a really good 40 time. Uh, I had spoken with coach Sutherland and with Chad Parker, their recruiting director and he came to our camp the next week, ran a fabulous 40 time, was able to work out for our coaches. And we were just, you know, one thing I'll say for Coach Mullen and our staff, and I'm very proud of this at Florida, is um, we don't recruit based off stars or anything. Um, and, you know, I know it drives fans crazy, and I get it. I understand it because fans aren't privy to all the information we are. But in our mind, this guy was a five-star recruit. So we offered him, he committed, and then if you did follow him this year, he, went, he had an unbelievable senior year. He's a rare combination of speed. And when I say speed, um, there's a, a lot of fast guys in football. He's a fast guy amongst fast guys. Yeah, I've been watching. I've been following his track times and everything, man. Um, incredible oh, highlights, smashing people. Field. Yeah, he's violent, fast. Yeah. He's everything you want in DB. You hit the nail on the head. So when you combine his physicality, which was unusual for that position in high school, with his speed and athletic ability, you know, we, we were all just like, we're like, man, we stole this kid. And now I don't even like to say stolen because, I mean, who's who's has more cachet than us? This is the University of Florida. We've sent Correct. more people to the NFL Combine than any school in the Southeastern Conference. So uh, it's not like they're going to go to Western Let's Kentucky. go. You know, <laughs> so I, I say that term stolen in the sense that we did our homework and the other people didn't. Now, for what yep. it's worth, if you're into this stuff, at the, near the end of the recruiting cycle when he, you know, he blew up his senior year, the whole world came in on him. Clemson came in on him. The whole, mm-hmm. of course, and he got, you know, young man's a man of his word, great superstar family. And so that's kind of the history. I became a Gator and we couldn't be more excited. Man, that's awesome. Guys, I wish we could, uh, we could keep you on. You guys have been fascinating to talk to. It's, it's awesome to see, um, you know, just great. Briefly, I was, Appreciate yeah, it, I was, 
I was on the uh, football recruiting staff from from 06 to 2010 as, as one of those students that would watch a little bit of tape and do that kind of stuff. But it was a recruiting nice. department of, I think, three or four people. And I mean, the, the, the staff size, I mean, with students and everything else, I'm sure is at least three or four times the size that it was. So it's incredible to watch uh, what Florida's been able to do in the support room. And we appreciate you guys each and every week. So you guys are the unsung heroes of uh, of that staff. So So thank you guys so much for coming on. Well, thank Absolutely. you. We appreciate just the exposure. And, and, and uh, you know, if it wasn't for guys like you and the fans, we wouldn't have a job. So trust me, the feeling is mutual. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it, guys, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Keep it up, guys. Thanks. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. All right, Dan, I said we just jumped straight into my man Trevor Sycamore and get some of this NFL draft talk in. Let's get it. That's right. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And then joining us for the third time, the fourth time, whatever it is, is new North Carolina resident and the Draft Network senior writer, analyst, owner, whatever you are, uh, of the Draft Network. Trevor, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, uh, whatever my reoccurring guest number is, it's just so... I'm the most reoccurring guest on the show. Like whatever number that's for a draft analyst. That's that's, you what, that's what I'm going with. I think you might be. I think you and Eric Fawcett, who covers basketball. I, I think don't you, know why. This is our first draft covering on Stadium Miguel. So I don't know why you keep coming on here, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, so uh, a couple weeks removed from uh, from the NFL Combine. What stood out to you about uh, some of the Gators, and did anything surprise you negatively about about the eight guys that were there for Florida? I don't know about negatively. I mean, the, the, the thing that pops out to me right away is obviously C.J. Henderson proved to the rest of the world. I mean, everybody who's been following the Gator football program already knew this dude was an athletic freak. He just put it on display. I mean, he was kind of going crazy all weekend, whether it was the the bench number that he put up for two twenty five, weighing just around you know, buck 90 or, uh, you know, the, the flat out four, three, nine speed that he had the long broad mm. jump. I mean, like this dude was just impressing in, in every single way athletically. And for a position that commands so much athleticism, you know, a, a lot of the narrative around CJ was that he wasn't going to tackle that he was afraid of physicality. And look, I mean, he'll probably be the first to tell you, I mean, the Miami game wasn't pretty. I mean, the Miami game for that to be the first game, that people solved him this season, it wasn't a good way to start off. And I think it left a bad taste in people's mouths. But when you watched him in coverage, he's not afraid to get physical in coverage. And I think as the year went on and he got more healthy after his injury, um, you know, he even showed a willingness to be a, a lot more of a reliable tackler. So I really thought that he had his best games and his best performances as the year went on. A lot of positive momentum going into the combine where he blew it out of the water. And dude, honestly, CJ could be a top 15 pick now, potentially even a top 10 pick if the Jaguars maybe get crazy and go corner in the top 10, something like that. And so I think that, I think that his stock really hit the ceiling there. Jabari Zuniga, I was pretty impressed with, you know, I, I was trying to tell people the man is explosive for a dude, his size. He's got giant tree trunks for legs. He was going to jump and he was going to have a great, 10-yard split in that 40-yard dash, and he did. Now, I thought Jonathan Grenard had a good weekend. I was wondering if he was going to 
show me even a little bit more athleticism that I thought. Uh, it's not like it was eye-popping, but I thought that it was a good weekend. And so all around, man, I, I thought a lot of the Gator prospects really helped themselves out during Indy Week. Talk to me about Van Jefferson. Obviously, very reliable. His dad played in the NFL for, for quite some time. Uh, played well at Ole Miss on that, that team that has turned out some beasts in the NFL. What are, where, where does he align and, and what was he able to do to either improve or drop his uh, draft stock uh, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't get to do anything, unfortunately, when, when he was in Indianapolis, but he really didn't no, that's have, right. um, yeah. you know, he, his, his calling cards is route running. You know, if, if this was a guy who was like, okay, you win vertically, like you win with, or you win with strength and things like that, and he wasn't able to work out at all, that's the difference. But Van wins because he'll cut you apart when it comes to his precision and route running, and he already proved that. I mean, he proved that at the senior bowl. He's proved that on tape. That's not really a question mark to him. So even though he wasn't able to work out, I don't think he lost anything. I think that people already view Van as a pretty – priority wide receiver that you're going to draft in round three, four. I don't think you're going to get him in the fifth, but you know, those mid round wide receivers, Van's going to be a preference from nearly any team. I and mean, whether you're playing him on the slot or even on the outside guys who can separate as naturally and as nuanced as he is being the son of a coach, it just shines in his tape. Everybody's going to be interested in that, whether you're drafting him to be a wide receiver two, a wide receiver three, potentially just a sub package guy to really mismatch against say a guy has a pretty stiff nickel corner and you want to expose him this week. I mean, that's where Van Jefferson's value really comes into play. And I truly do think that even though he wasn't able to work out at the combine stock didn't get hurt at all. Cause teams already view him as a mismatch kind of player. And then, so Trevor, I think we all kind of know that CJ Henderson is going to be the first guy off the board. Who do you think is the second guy off the board? I think it's probably going to be Grenard. And I, I think that because, one, he's put up some really good tape. Um, he might be a little bit stiffer than, than some people might want as an edge rusher, and that might hold him from not being a top 50 pick. But it's going to be somewhere around there. That's what I think. And so I think that he's going to be the second guy off the board because we know that teams take chances on edge rushers. If there's a guy who can get it done, and, man, I was listening to Grenard when he was at the podium, and, very smart dude knows how to pass rush with a plan knows what moves that he does well knows why his moves do well against offensive tackles and so even if he might be a little bit stiff i mean he's a big body dude he's not just going to bend like he's a, a freak athlete i mean if he would we'd be talking about him as a top 10 top 15 pick looking at how he's built and so since he's not i still think he's going to hover around that top 50 pick kind of range um i don't think he's going to be a first round pick but I do think that he's going to go somewhere in the second round. How early or how late depends on where one team might have him on the board. I think he's going to be the second gator taken. Mm. How much did this uh, coronavirus affect the, the guys that didn't get come by invites? And do we have any of those guys that may get drafted without a, without a pro day workout? Man, it's, it's tough for a lot of these guys. I feel bad for them. I really do because, the pro days that the schools host are a really good way to at least put your numbers out there. I think that a lot of scouts have some guys uh, on tape that they've already got their grades for, but 
you know, it, these scouts and these GMs, these head coaches are human too. They're very busy during the season. And when you get to pro day season where you're just kind of traveling around looking at these guys, somebody could pop off with it. You know, if, if a guy just has a great day at a broad jump, you go, okay, wow, hold on. I might need to go back and watch some tape on this guy. And I do really think that that helps when it comes to these day three players or even these undrafted free agents who become the priority signings that, we see at the very end of the draft, it's like, okay, this guy's going here. And it's just like, boom, boom, happening right away real quick. It's sometimes these pro day shine guys that end up getting the first calls. And so, man, it's just, it, I feel bad for him. And even maybe more than the pro days, the local visit, you know, for mm-hmm. say like a team like Tampa Bay, you know, they, they can't have USF guys in there for free anymore. You know, they can't, uh, UCF players they did in, uh, in Jacksonville or Tampa or just things like that, the local visits are just as much of a, a a bummer for some of these guys as it is the pro days. And so, man, with the league going full lockdown on travel, it's, it's, you know, some of these guys have to obviously get drafted in day three and, and, and they have to get signed in undrafted free agency. So it's not like there's going to be less, but it's less of a chance for these guys to really stand out than when they really might've been able to. Yeah, a lost opportunity. Um, do you think any of our guys that didn't get combined invites could get drafted? Maybe uh, Hammond or or Shula, a guy like that. I I don't know if they're going to get drafted, but again, you know, coming from a you know coming from a D one program, they're going to at least get looks. It all kind of comes down to the connection that you might have with the coaching staff. You know, if there's there's a guy who is around the floor program who say like is with the Seattle Seahawks and goes, Hey, I've been around this guy. I've seen him play, give him a flyer at the end of the round. And I think that those kind of guys are connections more than anything else. And with them being a D one program, there's always a chance, but you know, in terms of shoe and, and, and Hammond, I watched, you know, I watched Hammond play at the, uh, the East West shrine bowl. And I mean, he's fine. I think the dead team's going to bring him in for, for a tryout. At least he's going to make a camp roster. But, uh, you know, whether he gets drafted or not, and that's kind of the thing, right? Whether he's a draft pick or even an undrafted free agent, being drafted is cool. Seeing your name come up again on the ticker is, is really cool. But when you get into a camp, you get into a camp. He's got, a lot of these guys are going to get shots anyways. And so where I can't really think of many guys that didn't get drafted that I would – or that didn't go to the combine that I would say get drafted – they're still going to have a fair shot to make the roster uh, amongst some of those other players. Now, my man, Kyle Trash not getting a lot of love from, from um, the PFF grades and, and all these people that are making uh, top tens because it's off season. What, what's the evaluation on, on, and what's his draft stock going into his senior, senior season, this off season? Wh- which guy was this? I'm sorry. Kyle Trask. Oh yeah. So, man i'm a big trash guy i i've i've been a, a trash dude since he was recruited to florida i thought he had a lot of hidden talent i really did and there are moments of i, I don't want to give him too much credit but like there really are sometimes there's moments of brilliance with trash where he's just hiking the ball snapping it throwing it and it's a perfect spot right on the money he can he he has yeah. that kind of accuracy he really does it's just a matter of him being consistent and you know Last year's his first year as a starter. Yeah, he's he's taken over. He didn't even go into the year planning to be the starter. And so to write a guy off or maybe you know, think that he's he's not going to be legit, I mean, we don't even know. He hasn't even prepared a whole offseason as the starting quarterback. And 
from the flashes that I saw of him and what he's been able to do, how he's been able to facilitate the ball, shoot, give the guy a better offensive line in front of him. And I think that with that offseason program and getting familiar with the receivers, especially the first unit uh, as the guy now, he's shown moments where you go, okay, this is a building block to where if you see this more consistently, we're talking about a pretty damn good pocket passer who's also a strong player to pick up a couple of yards with his legs, although I wouldn't say he's the first RPO kind of a guy. He's a guy that gives you a lot of versatility, and so I like Trask's upside. I'm excited to watch him play this year. Nice. What did you guys? Um, when do you guys start your evaluation for for uh, the next coming class? You mean the just the 2021 class in general? Yeah. Man, it's 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 talented. I I hate being somebody who's who's looking too far ahead of the calendar when we haven't even had the class just start up right now, but. Yeah, I just see these I, you know, weird grades and stuff out there, man. That's so why I just be wanting to know, like, how, how early y'all get busy. There's a lot of downtime right now. Right. We, uh, depending on when they actually do this thing, I mean, we were we were told that the draft is going to happen as scheduled on April. So, so what happens is that obviously we'll play out this draft class, and right in the summer we'll get to it. Now, we're all college football fans like everybody else. So, you know, for example – we've watched two straight years now of Travis Etienne. You know, he, when he becomes mm. the guy, when we turn it to the summer, we've already got notes on it. We've already seen them live. We just maybe haven't broken them down into scouting reports yet. And so even though there might not be anything formal in terms of notes and strengths and weaknesses and rankings or big boards yet for next year's class, we have a pretty deep database just of knowledge because we all watch college football uh, every single Saturday. So, though, I mean, to your question, you know, how early we get into it, technically we don't get into it until the summer, but we are already watching these guys. We got a pretty good baseline. Now, how is the draft supposed to be fun? Fun is supposed to function this year? Yeah, so whew, right now, and this is all subject to change, we were told today that they are still going to have the draft in Vegas, but none of the public event stuff is going to happen right now. So as it stands today, the prospects are still going to walk across the stage. They're still going to have their names announced. They're still going to hold the draft the way that they were going to before, but there's not going to be any crowds. There's not going to be any parties. There's not going to be anything like that. So even if it stays the way that it is right now, it's not going to look the same. They said it's still going to be televised. Everything It's going to be a major event. So they're still walking the stage. I believe so. I was told that it was going to happen as scheduled. Just there's no Air public events and parties. At, I don't know. They might do the elbow <laughs> bump, you know, at this point. So I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go down. But we were told in sort of few details that it was going to keep going the way that we're, we're used to. But it's not going to be that surrounding party the way we normally see it with the draft. Uh, Trevor, who of the guys uh, that are eligible to be drafted this year do you think is going to have the best NFL career? Just out of anyone in general? Doesn't matter position or school or anything like that? No, just Florida. Oh, okay, just the Florida guys. Um, shoot, I guess I got I mean, like, to say CJ. He's got the, I mean, okay. he's got the highest ceiling. Uh, after him, I think that. I'd go in the order of the ways that I draft him. Uh, yeah. I'd probably say Grenard is next. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Zuniga maybe pack on a couple of pounds and move inside just because I love how explosive he is. 
he might not be the most flexible guy to play on the edge, but you put him in a three, four, or even give him a little bit of time at three tech and five tech, I think he can do some damage. But in terms of guys who I think could have the best career, I mean, it'd be foolish to not bet on CJ Henderson. He's got the highest ceiling. Okay. Very good. Well, Trevor, we appreciate your time. As always, uh, let everybody know where they can find and, and read all your, your stuff. It's outstanding. Yeah, sure, man. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I always do. At Tampa Bay Trey is where you can find me on Twitter and uh, all the scouting work being done over at thedraftnetwork.com. Very good. Trevor, we appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of this uh, draft season, as weird as the next month might be, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate thank you. it, though. Thanks, guys. Tampa Bay Trey. Already. That was a dope sit down. Let the people get caught up on what these guys getting drafted. I will I gotta get one of these draftees on to kick it. It's gotta be a little weird for them. It's not your normal offseason yeah. or preparation to get ready to get drafted, man. So I like to get get those guys perspective and, yeah, and yeah, see yeah. what they're going through. So we'll They probably have a little bit more time now. Yeah, we should be able to put one of those guys down, man. Corona's going to have everybody <laughs> inside the house wanting, wanting some type of outlet. So we'll give them an outlet. Let's you get the legend to, in here. You down to have a couple other shows, maybe? Maybe a couple pop-up shows every once in a while? Oh, heck yeah, man. We can do them for no reason. We can oh, just good. talk country music if you want to, Dan. All right, very good. I've always wanted my wine and country music podcast on the, uh, <laughs> on the network, so... And that's why I stepped in that, Dan. We ain't having no wine and no... Oh, no, there you what? go. No, 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 Dan. What is this? What is this nonsense I walk into, Dan? <laughs> Black, we're we're coroned up, so we're uh, we're trying to figure out what what we can do to to buy the time. Okay. Yeah, buddy. So we're uh, gonna do a, a pop up show about um, Chardonnay, country music, um, Nashville in the good old days. Yeah, the good old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good old days. There you go. <laughs> Not those good old days. I know what you guys are getting at. The good, good old, old days, days. congregate. Hell yeah. yeah. Be, oh, be around more than 10 people. Yeah, yeah. Revelry, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but before we do that, before we get to that, what do you guys think we bring on a, uh, a Florida Gator legend on again? I'm always down to kick it with legends. That's what I'm here for. All righty. Cam, dial him up. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Joining us for the very first time is former Florida Gators quarterback, Shane Matthews. Shane, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, guys. How are y'all? Very good. Very good. Shane, talk to us. Let's go all the way back. Uh, you're born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, you end up at the University of Florida. Talk to us about how that happened. Well, I grew up uh, an Ole Miss Rebel fan. My dad played at Ole Miss. My mom was a cheerleader there. So I grew up going to all these Ole Miss games. And uh, when it got time for me to make a decision on, you know, if I wanted to play college football, baseball, or basketball, I chose football and wanted to play in the SEC and kind of narrowed my choices down to Florida, Florida State, LSU, and Texas A&M were my recruiting visits and narrowed it down to Florida and LSU. And, uh, honestly, I'm not really sure why I chose Florida because, uh, LSU is much, much closer to home. Uh, my, my best friend who was my center at the time, he had committed to LSU, but for whatever reason, my parents and I both kind of 
thought Gainesville would be a good place for me to go to school. And, well, you know, it turned out pretty well. Absolutely. Why did you ultimately decide on playing football? Well, uh, I had some small offers in basketball and baseball, but football had multiple offers. Uh, even though, you know, when I, when I came out, I was six, two and a half, 165 pounds when I signed my scholarship. So, uh, if I was coming out these days, nobody probably would recruit me because of my size, but you know, football, you know, you get a free ride in football and, you know, my parents were both, uh, educators, uh, in the state of Mississippi. So, you know, when you get your, your college paid for, that's the route I had to take. I love it. So then you enrolled at the university of Florida, uh, right when, uh, right when Spurrier, not, not long after Spurrier was, was, uh, there, uh, what ultimately is looking back at kind of your favorite memory? I mean, you were a part of a, a you know, a number of teams that won, uh, you know, championships and sec championships and, and played and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, big games. What are looking back some of your favorite memories? Well, it'd probably be my first start, uh, when Spurrier first got here in 1990, um, you know, I, I went from like fifth or sixth string on the depth chart during the spring to the starter in the fall. And, uh, he started me against Oklahoma state in his first ever game here. And he caught a lot of grief from the bull Gators around the state, you know, starting a guy who's never taken a collegiate snap, but, uh, you know, we came out first play of the game, hit Ernie Mills for about a 35 yard deep crossing route. Four plays later, we score our first touchdown, beat Oklahoma State 50-7. to And, you know, that 1990 team kind of laid the foundation for the Spurrier era, kind of got us going in the right direction. Um, but that, that was the one game that stands out the most. And I think the most crucial game in the history of Florida football, and I think Spurrier will tell you this, is uh, our second game in 1990 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, against Alabama with all the great tradition that they had. Florida could never win. You know, they never won an official SEC title because they couldn't win games on the road. And, you know, that was what he said. If we're going to win championships, we got to win games on the road. And that kind of set the tone and built the foundation for what followed in the Spurrier era and then when Urban came along. Um, you know, so those are the two games that probably stand out the most. Obviously, my senior year, we weren't great. Uh, that's when they – added uh arkansas and south carolina and, and and we had the first ever sec championship game which we all know what happened there but um it was a, a, a really a miracle that we even got to play in that game because we were not a very good football team but we found a way to win the east hey shane being the quarterback at the university of florida is 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 hard um but when you're good at it is 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 a good job it's probably the greatest job in the country what was your experience like well, I think anytime you're a starting quarterback at a major university, especially in the Southeastern Conference, it's there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I played for my dad. My dad was my high school coach, so uh, <clears throat> he was pretty hard on me. So playing for Spurrier um, wasn't too difficult for me, but he, he was a coach that prepared you as a quarterback, let you kind of know what it's going to take, you know, around campus, off campus, the, the height that's going to be around that position. And, you know, some people can handle it. Some people can't, you know, I'm a pretty laid back kind of guy. I just kind of go with the flow and let things happen. Um, so, it ne you know, the, the pressure never really got to me, uh, but it can get overwhelming if, you know, from a fan standpoint, um, being pulled in many different directions, but you just got to try to keep your mind at what, what's, it, what's the task at hand 
and that's be the best leader you can be for your football team and your football program and go out and try to perform at a high level. What's one thing that uh, you still use uh, that, that you learned from Steve Spurrier? Oh, gosh. Uh, shoot. He and I are as competitive as people you'll ever meet. But, you know, I, I co- helped coach high school ball for about 12 years. And and everything that I learned from him, I tried to teach my quarterbacks and my wide receivers, anybody on the offense. But <clears throat> and I lasted in the NFL for 14 years somehow. And it's not because of my physical ability. It's because of my mind, the way he, he taught me how to see defenses, how to attack defenses. And I think that's the one thing that stands out in my mind the most and probably the one thing that I learned the most from him is how to attack the weakness of a defense and don't be scared to try to do it. <clears throat> what was your uh, most memorable play? Oh, gosh. Most memorable play. You know, um, I threw a bunch of touchdowns. I threw a bunch of interceptions, too. But I would probably say my senior year against Georgia, um, we weren't out of a very good team. They were ranked fourth or fifth in the country. And we upset them uh, 26-24. But we had to seal the game with about a minute and a half or two minutes to go. Uh, we needed to get a first down and coach Furrier, it was like third and eight. He called a quarterback draw and I had to do a double take, uh, when he signaled the play in, cause I was like, what the hell are you calling here? And he signaled it again. And you know, that <laughs> I didn't take off running very many times, but I went for about 12 yards following Eric red up the middle. And that's still the victory against a team that we had no business beating. And Shane, talk to us a little bit about your career in the NFL. You were, you know, able to to play at a bunch of different, uh, you know, a bunch of different teams. Uh, and I also ultimately want to to lead you back to your your Spurrier uh, reuniting there in Washington. But but talk to us a little bit about you know, what you enjoyed about the NFL. How it was different uh, than college, and um, do you feel like you enjoyed it? Or, or I guess just talk to us a little bit about your experience here. Well, I did enjoy it. I mean, obviously, I would have loved to have gotten drafted. Um, I was supposed to be the third quarterback taken behind Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer, but shoot, about nine or ten other guys got drafted, and I never got mm-hmm. drafted. And so, um, very disappointed there. But signed, <clears throat> signed as a free agent with the Bears. Spent, you know, I was there for four years. Never played a down. Went to Carolina for two years. Didn't play a down. Went back to Chicago for three years, and finally got an opportunity to play a little bit. And then um, went from there to the Redskins, as you mentioned, with Spurrier. And then yeah. one year at Cincinnati, two years at Buffalo. And my last year was saving down the Dolphins. But, um, you know, the reason I lasted in the NFL for a long time was, as I mentioned earlier, my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate that I – I wouldn't say I had a photographic memory, but once, once when a playbook was in front of me and they installed it, on the overhead projector and meetings, all I had to do was look at it one time and I never opened my playbook ever again. Um, I just knew what everybody was supposed to do. So I was never one of these guys that ever had to study their playbook, but I knew what every responsibility for every position was supposed to do. So I think I, it was comfortable for coaches to know that I was going to be a team player, no matter what roster I was on, I could always be that extra type coach uh, in the quarterback meeting room. And I, I really enjoyed that, that part of it. 
uh, watching film and helping other guys and, you know, attacking the weakness of the defense. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience to play 14 years. Uh, got to meet a lot of great uh, friends, teammates, live in some cool cities. My kids got to live in some cool cities. So I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, it is a job. Uh, it can be very, very stressful because uh, I was cut many, many times. But uh, I was fortunate enough, as I mentioned, to play 14 years, and um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So let's go back to that that season, uh, 2002, when you were with the Redskins. It was you and Danny Werfel, uh, and then you had the other quarterback. Was it from? Was it just the two of you? Uh, but anyway, so, uh, just- Patrick Ramsey they drafted. That's right, from from Toledo, right? Um, Tulane, so the, Tulane. Or Tulane, Tulane, that's what it was. Anyway, so, so there's the three of you guys there. What was it like to reunite with Spurrier? Um, and then ultimately, why do you think it, it didn't necessarily work out for uh, for Spurrier in the NFL? Well, I think the main reason it didn't work out is there, there's a couple of reasons. Dan Snyder's got his hands uh, on things, and he shouldn't. Uh, he shouldn't he should let those guys just coach football that know the game. Second thing is, Coach didn't have a legitimate NFL starter at his quarterback position. And the third would be uh, some of his protection schemes at times weren't up to par for the, the blitzes that the NFL teams have. But, it, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I think I went four and three uh, as a starter. I got hurt a couple games. Um, but, you know, I, I think if Coach would have had, like I said, a, a Six four, six five, two hundred thirty five pound quarterback. The way the way these guys are are built these days, with a tremendous arm, uh, his his pass plays are better than anybody in that league, and the way he calls it's better than anybody. Just didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, but you know, I think he regrets going to the Redskins. But I think every coach who's had success in, in, at the collegiate ranks wants to try to try it at the next uh, level. But he was built to be a college football coach just because he loved the relationship with his players. You know, in the NFL, you got some guys that are 21 years old, and you got some 37, 38-year guys, 38-year-old guys on the team. And it's just, it's a weird dynamic. And if you're not used to, and if you're used to being that father figure for kids, it's a, it's a tough transition. Um, so, you know, but I, I would say the, the biggest issue with, with his stand at the Redskins was Dan Snyder. Uh, Shane, are you familiar with uh, the uh, the CBA and NFL? What they got going on right now? Do you uh, uh, do you like the deal uh, that they struck? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I I didn't really read it all, but you know, I know a little bit about it. Yeah. How does that normally work out? Um, like, how much say so does the player ha- players have in like proposing those deals, and how do they get struck? If if you're familiar with it at all, I'm just curious. Uh, um, I didn't get too too involved when I was as a player. I do know this new deal that they just passed. I like it personally um, because I think it, it really benefits guys like myself who were minimum salary type guys. You know, I think I think the general public when they think about the NFL, they think everybody is a millionaire or has a million dollar contract or more. You know, they don't. the The average lifespan or career of an NFL player is two and a half years. And you do not get vested uh, until you have three years in three games. So think about that. You know, there's so many guys that play two to two and a half years, they get cut, and then they don't ever get any of the benefits. So 
now these guys that are making minimum salaries are going to benefit a little bit more, but it also up their, their salary. Now you got the Russell Wilsons and the Aaron Rodgers and the guys that are making 20 to $30 million a year. You know, they, they rejected this, this new agreement because it wasn't favorable for them, but like 65 to 70% of the national football league is made up of guys who make minimum salaries. And uh, I think it's a good thing. Like I said, I don't know a whole lot about it. I do know that those facts. And um, I'm glad it got passed. Nice. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know the information that you just gave me. So that's, that's pretty dope. I did know um, a lot of the, the, big, the big time guys didn't want it to go through. Um, but what are you up right, to these days? It, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, actually, well, the, 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 the superstars didn't want it because it didn't benefit them, but it benefited the other guys. Um, Basically, what I'm doing now is I've been helping coach, uh, volunteer coach high school football for several years, but my son's a freshman, was a freshman mm-hmm. this past year on the Florida football team. So uh, I'm no longer dealing with high school. Uh, I do a, a, pod, a podcast called Pot Up with Matthews in the Morning that you can mm-hmm. watch on Facebook Live, Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Doing that. And then during the fall, I do some radio with Steve Russell on WRUF pregame show on game you know uh gator game days uh that's about it um you know just uh that i guess that is about it i, I play a little <laughs> golf once or twice a week i play a little golf uh you know i was trying to figure out what actually i do do but that's that's about it uh shane what was it like to see your son walk on uh to university of florida well you know it's unfortunate that he didn't get my height um, you know, he's 5'10", about 170-ish, 175, can really run. You know, he's all-state as a junior and a senior in 6A football, uh, threw for a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns, but 5'10". You know, if he if he was my height, he had a ton of offers. Mm. Um, but, but you know, it is what it is, and, and Dan Bowling gave him a preferred walk-on opportunity, and he had some small colleges he could have played at, but you know, he's an extremely smart kid um, with his bright futures, his test scores and all that stuff. It was a no-brainer for him to go to Florida. Uh, had a tremendous experience in year one, playing for Dan Loves, Brian Johnson, quarterback coach, and got to go to the Orange Bowl. Um, you know, they're, they're all bummed out right now. They, they're supposed to start spring ball today, but who knows if that's going to happen. But it, it, it was cool to see number nine running out of the tunnel. I ain't going to lie. Um, you know, it kind of – uh, it's just it's a it's a cool experience to see your kid fulfill a dream. Now he may never get to play a down. Uh, you know maybe when he's a sophomore, junior, and we're blowing somebody out, maybe he'll get it there and and toss it around a little bit. But uh, he's having fun, and you know he loves playing for Dan Mullen. Nice. What's your opinion on Cal Trask and, and and what Dan Mullen got going with offense? Well, I, I, I think Dan's a tremendous football coach. Uh, anytime you can, you know, growing up, in, growing up in the state of Mississippi, I know about the, the, the football in that state. It's tremendous football, but at the collegiate level, you know, it, it, it's difficult for them to win against the big boys. And anytime you can take a team to number one in the country in that state, like he did with Mississippi State, the guy can coach. He also took Mississippi State to a bowl game every year. He was the head coach there, and that's unheard of. Um, to give him time here, he will win a lot of games for us. Uh, I think what Kyle Trask did was a phenomenal story. 
Uh, I think it probably would have been the number one story in the country if it weren't for Joe Burrow's uh, season last year. And, uh, you know, I, I like Felipe Frank. You hate to see a kid get hurt like that. He handled it uh, very well. I wish him a lot of luck at Arkansas. But Kyle Trask is a, is a great story and waited his turn and took full advantage of it. And I'm anxious to see what he can do in his senior year. Shane, what do you expect, you know, next season? Um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about Kyle Trask, and obviously, you know, Florida also has another quarterback that, you know, I think a lot of fans have clamored a little bit for in Emory Jones. Uh, not necessarily to, to supplant Kyle Trask necessarily, but what do you see uh, Emory Jones' role being in the offense next year? Well, I think you're going to see Emory play a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, I know, I mean, think about it. Emory is Dan Mullins prize recruit right now i mean think about it he was when he came here he flipped him from ohio state um i just think you know the year that kyle had you can only play one quarterback at a time but emory's got a lot of ability he's a, an explosive runner and he could throw the football so uh, you know this is kyle Trask's team going into his senior year but i think you will see emory play quite a bit this year well, perfect. Well, Shane, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, remind everybody where you're up, where they can find your podcast and, and the name of it again. Yeah, it's called Pot Up with Matthews in the Morning. You can check it out on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And it's it's live from 8 to 8.55 on Facebook Live. And then I'm not smart enough to figure out how all that other stuff works. That's why our producers do it all. But you, can <laughs> check, you, you can check it out on, on any of those uh, other uh, other sites. I love it. Well, Shane, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was always a pleasure to watch you uh, play growing up, and uh, we really appreciate your time. All right, guys. I appreciate y'all having me. I'll take care. You have a good one. Right, you do the same. Thanks a lot, man. Shane Matthews. Kicking it with a legend. Shane's pretty cool Another and chill. Yeah, yeah, he got into that Emory bag. You set him, you set him up, Dan. Um, I tried. I don't know around here. Yeah, I think I, – I don't think – and I didn't expect that answer. Did you? No, not at all. No, I, I was curious to see what he was going to say because, you know, he's a very similar type of quarterback to Kyle Trask. Um, obviously, he spoke really highly of him. Uh, but to uh, I, I think a lot of people know what, what you can get of Emory Jones and what he what he brings to the field. Um, yeah, I think everybody kind of – anybody with a football mind kind of know um, what Dan Mullen wants to do. And we need both guys. I just, I, I just think that's the overall opinion. Um, for us to get to Atlanta, for us to get to those playoffs, we need both guys. Oh, absolutely. And I think we're going to see both guys. Uh, but it's cool to All see right. guys like Shane Matthews still around the program. It's awesome, I'm sure, for him uh, to see his son uh, make it back uh, or to, to walk so on. That's dope, dog. That's yeah. dope. You know what I'm saying? Get to see your son run out of the tunnel. You know he's slapping the same caliber of cheeks you did when you was in college playing football. It's a beautiful feeling, man. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, my son will never – <laughs> um, have a, a walk-on spot for anything athletic um, hey, man, and follow his father's good, footsteps, you know? You have a little faith, bro. Yeah, who some, knows? We plugged in now, man. You yeah, might that's true. You know what I'm saying? You never know. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Shane, Shane's a good dude, man. It's it's funny. I was looking. Uh, I was trying to find the, uh, the complete list on his um, – 
like Wikipedia when I was trying to get a, a few things uh, to line up to, to figure out what we talk about. Uh, the Gainesville Sun recognized him as the number nine all-time Florida Gator player. I knew Shea was good. Um, I knew he was really good. I didn't know that he was going to be quite number nine. And this was back in 2006. Some things have changed. Um, you yeah, know, you okay. Tebow, yeah, 2006, Harvin. he might have been there. Yeah, yeah but, um, but Eric Rett, we've had on the show. He's on there. Danny oh, Werfel, man. he's been on the show. He was... You know, so we've knocked off a uh, a few of the top ten Gators overall according to that 2006 article. So we got to keep going. We need to complete that list. Where am I at? Because I'm on the show. So where am I at? Well, that was made in 06 or before mine. So they ain't got my dog on there yet. But they're going to get on that. Not bit, yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think Ahmad uh, would be? I think Ahmad's a top Top 75 Gator player of all time? All-American, bro. The numbers, is, I mean, when you look at the numbers in the, the stats, there, yeah. and there's a brick outside, you know what I'm saying? So regardless of where he got drafted, none of that matters. As a Gator, oh, yeah, he's yeah. up there, bro. He made the big plays in big games. He got the stats. He got a brick outside. The man lives a great lived a great life, man. He sure did. Those are all the things I want right there. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that's enough of, uh, you know, tooting Ahmad's uh, ego. Uh, speaking of uh, which, did you see that? Uh, guy puppy ain't here. You know what I'm saying? He's he not going to listen back to the show, so he won't hear none of this anyway. Yeah, very good. Speaking of, like, egos, uh, there was a, um, a a Gator Twitter uh, bracket that got released yesterday. Did you see that? I don't want to speak of that garbage. <laughs> Is it because you're a two seed? That's disrespectful, Dan. <laughs> Let's just keep it a buck. I'm, I'm a lowly three seed. Josh Prey's a cool dude, man, but let's keep it a buck. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the scoop, you know what I'm saying? Fuck the cat, man. And I don't even know who the other page was. And shout yeah. out to him, but Ahmad. <laughs> Ahmad and I are on a on a collision course. If I can make it from that lowly three seed, uh, him and I are matched up in the same bracket, which I didn't think was totally fair. Um, but it was uh, a safe yeah. bracket. There was a lot of people on that bracket. I mean, it was just safe. There were some killers out here in Gator Twitter that was not in that bracket. So I don't know how they setting it up and how they doing it, but my but favorite. I'm here for it. If you're listening to this podcast, make sure you, you look out for your boys. Yeah, I'm cheering for Dan, man. I'm an underdog, so I'm cheering for the low seeds. Ah, uh, very good. I'm an early out, man. I, I, Cinderella's about to knock me out first round. I'm chilling. I can see that. We should start a campaign to get you knocked out in the first round. Speak, uh, hey, <laughs> check this out. Since uh, since Ahmad's out, yeah. um, we can't do Ahmad Black's word of the week, so we're going to do Ahmad White's word of the week. Dan, you got it this week, baby. <laughs> Ahmad White's word of the week. Oh, man. Definitely. So I was thinking when you when you told me you wanted to do this, I was like, all right, well, what are some words? Uh, so here here's one uh, that I got to use today, actually. The word is druthers. What the hell is that? Druthers? If I had my druthers. Yeah, I don't know what that is, cuz. What's that? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. It just means like if I is? had my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it means like if I like if it was my choice or if I could choose the oh. way to do it. So like if I had my druthers, I would eat like thin mints, you know, cookies or whatever. Oh, okay. I like that. Druthers. Druthers, yeah. What does that derive from? Is that short for um, something? That like lingo? No, it's probably just from uh, just old country slang, you know. It oh. sounds like probably a couple words that were put together southern. that don't make any sense. So, southern? Yeah, I think it's a real southern word. 
Okay. Like that. That's yeah, real southern. I need to know where I, where I, where I'm um, where I need to be when I'm saying shit like that. That's what I'm asking. I don't want to be saying. Oh, that. gotcha. Okay. Yeah, 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 you definitely can't say it. I don't think in Belgrade. Uh, but if you ever find your I way in Valdosta, no, there's there's. I guess no, there's a lot of yeah. I guess there's some a lot of old Florida cracker there. Um, right, so if you're in Orlando, Orlando's probably not a, a place to use druthers. Uh, but you find yourself in Valdosta visiting Annie. There you go. They probably use it all the time. Okay. Druthers. Druthers. Yeah, I, I want to say I'm in the Northeast chilling and, you know what I'm Yeah, saying? oh, yeah. It's got, definitely. No, definitely what, what not. What is schmuck talking about? Druthers. <laughs> so there it is. Druthers. There we it got, is. I got to teach a mod that. Mod White's Word of the Week. We cover everything today? Man, this is so. weird not having, like, updates, man. I was so excited yeah. about spring football. Are we um, supposed to have a Zach Evans update? Yeah, man. Like it just have spring just, football so, starting today. Come on, I would have been so hype on here. Corona killing the vibes. Corona really is killing the vibes. But we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the content rolling. Um, me and Dad talked about it. We down to do some pop up shows. We down to do some call in shows. We down to kick it with the fans. We are gonna keep this content rolling. Steady Miguel's gonna keep uh, dope guests coming on to hang out and vibe with us. And we're gonna figure this all out, man. Um, but we don't know what tomorrow holds, man. Everybody just just kind of be safe, bunker down, um, stay from around. Don't be stupid, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just just, just relax. Don't panic. Yeah. Bye, man. Everybody Enjoy just enjoy Yeah. A little a little downtime. You know, I saw a meme the other day. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It said, "It's crazy how we live in a time." Where it's finally globally encouraged to stay at home and nap, and we all get upset about it. So, enjoy your time if you're working from home. Enjoy it. Get out a little bit, backyard, walk around. Spend some time with your family. Spend some time relaxing. It's, it can be so easy to uh, to get caught up in you know the hustle bustle of life, and, and where this you know hopefully doesn't affect you know you personally. Um, you know, we're going to be able to get, get out of this. Um, you know, there's, there's hopefully some, some government help that'll be there for anybody that's, uh, you know, hourly workers. And, you know, I want to give a shout out to a bunch of people right now. So obviously anybody that's in the healthcare profession, thank you so much. Anybody that's first responder, thank you. Anybody that works in grocery or food service or, or anything that's still providing, uh, very yeah. appreciative and grateful of all of that because, we know that there's a lot of people uh, that are that are at home right now, and you're still working, and you're still providing, and you're still helping. So thank you uh, to all of them. But take a little bit of time, uh, relax. Don't watch the news all day. I promise you, it's not going to change minute by minute. Um, but enjoy your time. Enjoy your time with your family. Enjoy your time with your kids if you have any. Enjoy your time with your friends. Um, just just be safe. Be careful. Yeah, another thing too. Um, everybody like a lot of see a lot of young people saying they don't kill young people. Um, but you don't know what old person you're gonna come in contact with yourself, man. So just everybody just need to think about everybody else right now. No, no, no like being out partying and, and still out. Like let's not be selfish right now and just think about the other person, other people. It ain't just about us right now. It's a, everybody got to kind of link up and make this happen. You know. Absolutely. That's Thank the only reason we're here, so we can do it. Yeah. All so, right. Well, another Thank dope episode. Yeah. Who got the song? I got the song. You got the song, but before we do, wait, you had the song last week, didn't you? Yeah, I don't I know. I think it was supposed to be a mod together. song. But while I find an awesome song for you guys to listen to, um, 
Big shout out to everybody that's on Patreon. We really, really appreciate you guys. Patreon.com slash Stadium and Gale. So appreciate them. Uh, if you want to be an advertiser for the show, like Greg Brunt, Brunt Insurance and Financial Services, uh, feel free to reach out. We'd be more than happy to, uh, to talk to you. We're very, very open uh, in terms of what we want to do and what we want to work on. We've got a lot of opportunity. Uh, we're still trying to work on some sort of event. Uh, we're going to have a baseball tailgate. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, right now anymore uh but uh but but please um you know from the bottom of our hearts you know accept uh you know gratitude for all of those that that support listen share comment tweet everything we really appreciate you guys uh so my song um i don't know let's do hardy uh and the song's called rednecker yeah that's i I kind of i could have guessed that name just by the um the hardy Yeah, yeah yeah Pause. I could have guessed that wild ass title. Yeah, it's pretty fine. <laughs> I still think you'll like this one. You said it every week, and I never like it. Yeah, well, I think this one's a little. <laughs> if not, we'll try to get you, time. bro. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna let you know. All right, bro. Same corner. Let's ride, Cam.
Is my truck louder than your truck?